Hello folks, this is Larry Schaefer with Insperity. During our 10-part series of our first season, the Inspiring Business Success Podcast asked this question, what does it take to be a high-performing entrepreneur and business professional? Well, folks, it's mid-April 2020, an unprecedented time in our history. So in this bonus session, we add to this question of entrepreneurial success. How do we attain exceptionalism in business in the face of uncertainty, adversity, and chaos? Right now, we're going to take you to a recording of a live webinar that we did with Dr. David Cook. The title of this session is Greatness, Selfless Exceptionalism in a Business Arena of Uncertainty, Adversity, and Chaos. Thanks, Larry. You know, my heart really is, um, is aching for everyone in this, um, in this time, in this situation that we're in, because we find ourselves in a defining moment in the world. And, you know, as I work with uh, 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 you know, coaching people and executives in the business world and in, in the sport world, my job for the last, you know, 38 years has been to, to really prepare people for adversity and to help them understand how to use their mind so that their talent comes out at these defining moments in our lives. So I think the message today really is more important and relevant than I've ever, you know, anytime I've ever shared it before. And, and so I'm glad to be here with you guys. Today's specific topic is going to be embrace the pressure. Greatness is a choice. And, the, you know, one of my favorite words in the world is the word volition. It starts with a V, like in Valentine, uh, V-O-L-I-T-I-O-N, volition. Volition is defined as the will to choose. And we're in a place right now in our world where we have choices, you know, a fear choices, um, or overcoming choices. And, and um, I, I, I really believe that the message we're going to hear today will help us and encourage us and inspire us and equip us as we move forward as a group here to, um, to, to, to answer the call because this is a huge defining moment. Volition, at any moment in your life, you're, you're, you're on this volitional scale, the will to choose, and it, and it kind of goes from left to right like this. I won't is the first choice. I won't, I, won't, I won't do it. Second is I can't. Third is I'd like to. Fourth is I'll try. Fifth is I can. And the final choice is I will. Those are the volitional choices that we have, and I think they're extremely relevant right now. And we have to choose an I will to make sure that we're using the influence that we've been given at this moment in time. The five choices of greatness we'll go through, or the six choices really, over the next six sessions. Um, I'll reveal one a week, share a story with you, and hopefully um, it'll stick with you and be a word picture that you can take with you into this environment that we're in right now. So the first one is embrace the pressure. And I want to just talk about that's the first choice. That's the first I will choice, the first volitional choice that we have. And pressure really is our greatest competitive ally. It is our ally under pressure. It's our ally in uncertainty and adversity. Pressure absolutely becomes our ally. When I began to work with an athlete or even an executive, but I'm going to use a couple of sports stories here to help uh, um, seal some pictures in our mind and understand that you, you will be able to apply them uh, to wherever your situation is right now. I know that the the word picture will be powerful enough and you'll be able to make that transition to exactly what you do and who you are and where you are at this time. Let me explain something. So when I, when I first meet with, you know, an aspiring champion, let's say, um, I'll ask the question, what's the trophy you want to hold someday? 
You know, what it, where is it you want to go? What is it you aspire to do? And, and so as each of you think about that, where is it, you know, and, you know, we're kind of looking at the, maybe this thing right here is, that we're living through has gotten in our way, but, but it really hasn't. What is that trophy you want to hold? That's the first question I ask and ask people to describe that. Then the better question, the most important question comes second. And that is, what does it look like about 20 minutes before the trophy celebration? You see, the 20 minutes before the trophy celebration is a place of absolute chaos. It's unprecedented intensity and fire. The pressure is like nothing else in life when you're going through something to hold a great trophy. But anytime we want to hold the trophy, we have to understand deeply that the only way that we'll ever hold the trophy is that we have to go through the 20 minutes before the trophy celebration. And in that moment of intensity and pressure, we have to be able to summon things within us and inside of our mind so that the talent that we have, the talent pool that we have, is not stripped away because of the interference and the adversity and the uncertainty. But in fact, we rise to the occasion and we're one of those that actually succeeds and excels in the midst of that pressure. And then we do hold that trophy one day. Those are the two pictures that we start with. Let me, let me give a personal story and, and move through this thing of embracing the pressure with you. When I was 12 years old, I was on a little league team and we went to the state championship. My dad was the coach. He was a, he was a former Marine. And um, a little side note there is he decided that at 19 years old, his life was changed for the better because of a Marine buck sergeant <laughs> in discipline. So when me and my other two brothers were born, he said, why wait till, you know, 19 years for them to get this? I'll just start when they're, when they're born. So I was raised as a little Marine and, you know, taught discipline and told to be tough and, and brave and courageous and, and, you know, model that and everything. So I'm 12 years old. I'm a little guy, you know, I'm the littlest guy on the team, but here we go. We go all the way to the state championship. Well, we're there because of our pitcher, not really the rest of us on the team. Our pitcher, his name was Ray. He was, you know, about five foot 11, weighed about, uh, you know, 175, had a nice little goatee going at the age of 12. He could throw that ball faster and straighter than anyone I ever knew. He won the pitch, bat, and throw contest that the Houston Astros had every year for kids. Uh, we're about 3,000 enter that. He won that. Well, we didn't have the 10-inning rule back then when our pitcher could only throw 10 innings, you know, 10 innings a week. So he threw every pitch all the way to the state championship. So we never had to take batting practice. My dad was smart enough to know that he might kill one of us. So he wanted us to stay healthy. So we go all the way to the state championships. We take the field first. We're warming up, and the eyes on the other team are just big. You know, they, they see this intimidating act, this big guy up on the mound. And then we leave the field, and we're in the dugout watching them warm up. And the guy that I thought was their coach lumbered up on the mound for them. He was about six foot, probably weighed about 205. He had a full beard going. <laughs> and, man, his first pitch came. It was so fast you couldn't see it. And something else about that pitch, it went over his catcher and over the umpire, and it stuck into the chain link fence. Not only was he big and massive and fast, he was wild. <laughs> that is not one of your uh, – that is not something that you look forward to as a batter. I was the third batter, and – First two guys strike out, not because the guy threw a pitch, but because they wanted out of there. So I go in there, a little David against Goliath, and I don't know, I probably weighed about one, 
115, you know, was a little kid, probably about four foot ten. My strike zone wasn't very big. He wasn't going to strike me out. I got in there. I was doing everything I could to be a little Marine. And right when he was about to start his windup to throw the pitch, or right after he started his windup and ready to throw his pitch, as his leg raised to throw the pitch, my left leg, unbeknownst to me, removed itself from the batter's box. The umpire calls timeout before the guy can throw the ball, and he looks at me and says, son, are you okay? And I said, yes, sir, I'm fine. At that point, I'm having a conversation with my leg like I've never had before. What are you doing? Stay in here. Stay in the batter's box. So we get back in there, and I'm talking to my leg. Stay in the batter's box. The guy's just about to throw the pitch. He raises his leg and throw the ball. My, my leg goes out of the batter's box again and takes me with it. The umpire calls timeout and says, son, now, if you do that again, I'm going to have to call you out. You've got to keep your foot in the batter's box to play this game. Now, along the, along the sideline over there, my dad is starting to move a little closer. He's now into the, the on-deck circle, about as close as uh, the coach can get to his son, uh, giving me all kinds of motivational signs and words, you know. And so uh, I get back in there, and I am screaming at my leg at this point, you stay in the batter's box, stay in the batter's box. As he raised his leg to throw that pitch, you could have put 2,000 – pounds of cement on my foot, but it came out of the batter's box again, took me with it. The umpire's about to call me out. My dad calls timeout. I'll take care of this. And there it comes. You can see it's like, it's, like a, it's like a motivational speech, you know, that looks like a locomotive moving slowly towards me at the plate. So here comes my dad. He puts his arm around me and squeezes me real tight just to remind me that he is a Marine, you see. And then he says this. He says, son. I said, yes, sir kind of started out nice. He goes, you know, I'm proud of you. I said, thanks, Dad. He said, now, son, can you keep your foot in that batter's box, son? Or do I need to put somebody else in there for you? Now, see, my dad, in his mind, was giving me a motivational speech. But um, I heard an option. I heard an option, and I left him standing with his, <laughs> with his arm around nothing as I removed myself from the game <laughs> and went to the bench. Now, something got between me and my potential at that moment in my life, and it was fear, it was intimidation, it was uh, uncertainty if I was going to get hit by the next pitch or live through it. All kinds of things were going in my mind. I had a really good batting average. I was batting third. I was, I was uh, you know, one of the, the good players on the team, and we were in the state championships. So I had the talent, but something got between me, and it was – it was something that was on the mound. See, that, the mound became, that picture became the interference to me, and it got between me and my potential. And I, 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 I tell that story because I think, you know, I think this pandemic is on the mound right now. And I think it's, it's causing a lot of fear and chaos and uncertainty in so many of us. And our, and our foot's wanting to bail out of the batter's box so often right now. And we're called as leaders. We're called as, as, as friends and colleagues. We're called as as, as, as future champions and elite performers in the business arena to keep our foot in the batter's box, to face this and to embrace the pressure. Let me move to uh, another story, uh, the main word picture I want to leave with you today. And it's a picture of, of a pole vaulter. When I was at the University of Kansas many years ago when I was a professor there, we had a pole vaulting group and we had, we had five guys at KU at that time that had jumped over 18 foot. That had never happened in the past and will probably never happen again in, in track and field. Unbelievable, exceptional. The lead guy there was Scott Huffman, 
He had jumped over 18 foot 15 times in college. Now, at the point of the story, he had graduated and he moved on. He was out, you know, six or seven years after college, still training there and still a presence, you know, helping the young athletes and things. And he was a professional athlete. His goal was to jump in the Olympics, which is coming up in two years from where I'm telling you this story. So he was in preparation for that. We were still close and working together. We had breakfast one day and he said, man, I don't know if I can eat breakfast. I feel so much pressure about this upcoming event. Can you help me not feel the pressure? And I said, well, where's it coming from? What, where, tell me about the event. He said, well, the event is the National Outdoor Championship. He said, I've been in, I've been in 15 national championships in my life and I've no it in six of them. I never finished in the top 10. I'm ranked number two. It's my nemesis meet. It's the big guy on the mound for him. You see, it was, it was a place of uncertainty. It was a place of pressure and intensity for him. He was fearful of it. And he was feeling the anxiety even two weeks ahead of it. I said, Scott, well, let me ask you another question. Where, where do you want to go? He said, you know, I want to be an Olympian in two years and I'll do whatever it takes to get there. And I said, well, about eight weeks in front of the Olympic Games, there's another little meet. It's called the Olympic Trials. I said, Scott, on a day you don't get to choose. In weather conditions, you don't get to choose. On a track, you don't get to choose. With a physical body condition, you can't really control at that moment. You've got one opportunity to jump well that day. And if you do well, you get to go to the Olympics. If not, it's over. Your career's over, everything's over. That's the end of the deal. Once every four years, the most pressurized meet, maybe in sport. I said, is there gonna be any pressure there? He said, yes, sir. I said, and if you get to the Olympics, you know, they say four billion, that's with a B, <laughs> period, we'll be watching. You ever jumped in front of four billion before? He said, no. I said, so here's what we're gonna do. You see, the pressure at the Olympic trials is gonna be exponential. And so between now and that moment, we get to practice and prepare for that. And there is nothing in the world that prepares us more for those defining moments, for, for the 20 minutes before the trophy celebration, which is sort of metaphorically gonna be that for you, than practicing under pressure. And so I want you to look at this meet as a gift. I want you to see this meet as a gift and I want you to rearrange it in your mind. You're Marion Webster, you get to define the setting and you get to define this, this, the definition of where you're about to walk. And I want you to define it as a gift. Because the truth is, if you can go there and succeed there, then you've climbed a little further up the ladder that'll prepare you for the Olympic Games one day. And it's these places where we can put our foot on the line and feel the heat that increase our ability to handle pressure and that allow us to walk into these defining moments in our life and succeed and to draw other people out and with us and encourage them. This whole idea of greatness is selfless exceptionalism. Being exceptional by encouraging and inspiring others with our performance and our attitudes and the choices that we make, the volitional choices we make. I, I said, Scott, let me give you a quote. Let me ask you how you, how you stand with this quote. It's an obscure quote that came out of an, uh, you know, a golf magazine many, many years ago. I don't even remember who the player was, but the, the title of the article was The Oldest PGA Tour Rookie of All Time. The article was about this guy that walked out of the pro shop at 42 years old, 
after, you know, spending a day folding shirts, taking green fees, you know, washing carts and all that stuff. And he went out and he qualified for the PGA Tour. Back then there was three major stages that you had to go through and 3,000 started and 25 at the end got PGA card. He got one of them. So they're writing the article about it. I said, what's your deal? How, how did you do that against all the college athletes and mini tour players and people playing tournaments all the time? You're, you, you're in a pro shop and you, and you made <laughs> and he And he said something like this. He said, here's my deal. He said, I like to put myself in a position where I feel like I'm choking my guts out so I can see how good I can be. He said, you see other people running from that all the time. My whole purpose is to put my foot on the line and feel some heat because where I intend to go is a place of fire. I said, hey, Scott, you think like that. Your competitors are thinking like that. They're choosing these thoughts volitionally. Go embrace the pressure, Scott. Put yourself in the position so that you can move up that ladder of pressure management. So you'll be ready for the Olympics and the Olympic trials one day. He tells me this story later as he goes to the, uh, to the National Outdoor Championship. He comes back and he tells me this story. He said, I missed my first two attempts. You get three and you're out. He said, I'm going to stand at the end of the runway. My pole's shaking so bad in my hand. I'm so angry and frustrated and, and, and afraid I'm going to fail again in front of all my friends and family and teammates. And the whole stadium is watching. It's a low height. And, and I'm the number two vaulter in America, and I'm about to fail at my nemesis meet again, and I'm so frustrated about it. He said, I don't remember the guy's name, but I remember the quote at that moment. I like to put myself in a position where I feel like I'm choking my guts out so I can see how good I can be. He said, you know, he said to himself, if that's true, <laughs> I'm about to jump 19 feet because I've never felt this much pressure in my life. And he said, I embrace the pressure. I flipped the switch from off the on. Instead of running from it, I ran to it. And I went down, I planned that pole, and I cleared that bar by two feet. And I got out of the pit. I put my hands on my knees, and I looked down, and I said a prayer of thanks to God. I said, I knew that was the greatest single vault of my life, not the highest. I didn't set a record. But it was the greatest vault because I went through something. I, I went through pressure. I reframed it as a gift. I embraced it, and I accomplished something great. He said everything changed, and I didn't miss another attempt that night. Went on and won the National Outdoor Championship. One year later, we had breakfast. It's about a week before the National Outdoor Championship. How are you doing, Scott? He said, Doc, I'm embracing the pressure. Had the best year of my life. I can't wait to go to Knoxville, Tennessee next week and jump in the National Outdoor Championship. That was very different from the year before. And Scott goes to the National Outdoor Championship in Knoxville that year. And he jumped 19, seven and a quarter. <laughs> he set the American record by a decade. It was unbelievable. Scott's now one year out from the Olympics after that amazing vault, and he's number one in America. And he's moving along, and in October, he pulls a muscle so bad in his pelvic uh, in his um, groin area that he splinters the pelvic bone. It's such a deep injury that you can't do surgery to get to it. So you have to sort of let that, that bone kind of fall back down on itself and solder itself. So it takes a little extra time to heal. And the pain is, is awful and deep. You can't cough, laugh, you know, hardly breathe without feeling the pain. And so he's in a full body cast for a while. And then around Christmas time, he's in a leg cast and he, 
gets out and off of that sometime in January, February, and begins limping around and <clears throat> trying to get his leg ready. It's the Olympic year. Have you ever said this? Why me? Why now? Many of you may have been saying that over the last few weeks. Maybe, you know, something great was about to happen. One of my dear friends, I worked with the, you know, Baylor basketball team. They, <laughs> Baylor was ranked number one in basketball most of the year going into, you know, the, 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 the tournament. And they canceled the season. Best team ever. Why me? Why, why now? You know? How many of you have said that? Things were going really well. Why now? Why me? Scott had to be thinking that, and he moved along through the spring and wasn't able to jump in the indoor season, and the outdoor season begins, and, you know, he can see that the Olympic trials is coming forward, and he's been out for nine months. The Olympic trials is about to begin, so he goes to the Olympic trials, and he goes to the stadium the day before, and he's, attempting to practice when a rainstorm comes and they close the stadium. He didn't get to practice. The next day they're staging the buses for the event, just like they're doing for the Olympics. And his bus breaks down and he's late to the event. He limps into the stadium and the vault director says, we're starting on time. We're sorry. You get two run throughs instead of eight. And, um, and you know, that's just the way it is. Can you see it piling up? An injury took nine months to get through. He's still limping. His bus breaks down. He didn't get to warm up the day before. He's in the shade and he gets two warm-up events. So if anyone needed more warm-ups, it would have been him. And the meet begins, and he misses his first two attempts at the Olympic trials. And it's over. His career is over if he doesn't make the next attempt. And he fought over the bar, and he made it. He embraced the pressure. And he fought over the next bar, and then he made the next one, and then he fought over one more. And that day, Scott Huffman became an Olympian. And if he was speaking to you on this, on this Zoom presentation right now, he would say, it all changed two years before when I flipped the switch. You know, the light was off in the room, and I flipped the switch, and it came on. It didn't take 21 days to change anything. It took me a, a flipping of the switch and a volitional choice. It said, I will embrace the pressure. That's the word picture I want to share with you today, really two there. Number one. This pandemic is on the mound. I was a little kid. I was 12 years old. I never had to bat against my own pitcher, Ray, all year long. I wasn't prepared for the big guy on the mound. And I bailed out. I couldn't, for whatever reason, control my leg at that moment. And my dad had trained me to be tough and courageous. And I'm sure I let him down that day. But I didn't play in that game because I wasn't prepared. I hadn't embraced the pressure. But I knew from that moment forward, I didn't ever want that to happen again. Eventually, I would end up getting a PhD in this thing called sports psychology, how the brain works in performance and business and in life. And I want to spend my life helping people understand how to keep their foot in the batter's box when the big guy's on the mound. And, and Scott Huffman, the, maybe one of the greatest vaulters in the history of America, goes through such difficulties and still manages in the face of incredible uncertainty and odds and interference, he became an Olympian. He reached his goal and his dream because he embraced the pressure. You see, embracing the pressure is a choice. You're not born with, you know, you're not born with, you know, pressure management skills. It, it comes from a choice. And I, I just 
I'm excited to be able to share this series with you. And I feel for where everyone is right now. And there's pain that's deep and real. And you know what? We also have this thing called influence. And today we get to do that. We get to embrace the pressure and influence those around us and be a leader, and be a colleague and be a peer and be a family member and be, be a friend. We get to choose to embrace the pressure because this is a defining moment in the history of the world, in the history of our world. And being able to, to live through this by embracing the pressure and not only just to survive, but to thrive will prepare us for all those things that are in front of us that we have to go through to hold the trophy someday. And I just pray that that trophy that, that you've got in your mind, that this isn't a setback, but this is, this is an open door for you to move up that rung on the ladder to greatness. And greatness is selfless exceptionalism. That means being great at what you do, to be excellent at what you do in a selfless manner so that the lives of those people around us are encouraged and inspired by how we handle this. God bless you. Dr. Cook, thank you once again, and we look forward to next week, and folks, we look forward to having you all back. Thank you and have a great day.